There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. All right, Crossover Podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. What up, Beck? What up, Mannix? Happy one-year anniversary of a very unhappy day. It's March 11th. Oh, March 11th. One year ago the today. The NBA, the day the NBA shut down. You're right. I want to get into that. I know you wrote something on SI.com today uh, commemorating uh, that one-year anniversary. A couple other housekeeping notes before we start. Uh, there is a new NBA feature that we have launched this week, the morning shoot-around, where one of our NBA writers, whether it's myself, Howard, Rowan Nadkarni, Michael Pena, uh, Chris Herring, we will write something every morning that'll be up prominently on the site. So check that out, the morning shoot-around, every morning on si.com. Uh, Howard, as I mentioned, is going to have a piece up today that reflects the one-year anniversary of the NBA stopping. And... We are making our maiden voyage on Clubhouse, Howard. I know you have been clamoring to get on Clubhouse for SI to move into 2021 and become part of the Clubhouse family. We will be there tonight, Thursday night, 7.30 Eastern time. All the details are available on the SI social channels. Follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, all that stuff. 
all the uh, information that is there to uh, find out how to join us. Howard, I'm I'm looking forward to clubhousing with you later. Can we? Is it a is it a verb? Can we clubhouse? I I think so. I, I think that's it's entered the vernacular. All right. Uh, that that seems true. I mean, it's only been around for like seven minutes, so I'm not sure. You know how many different ways we can you know spin the title. But uh, yeah, I've, I I don't really know what this. It feels like it's a live podcast, is what it feels like. It's so it's going to be the five of us that you mentioned, the five NBA writers uh, from SI. We will be talking, and then people can sign into Clubhouse and they can listen, and then they can raise their hand if they want to ask a question, something like that. Yes, I believe that's how it works. Yes, uh, but we <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if we're the. It's like are we the NBA Top Shot generation either? Like I don't know if. That fits our profile as well. Uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll muddle through. We'll evolve in real time. Um, we're all about the people, Chris. <laughs> we want to be on the cutting edge, and uh, I, I I think we're ready. We'll be fine. It'll be good. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> we'll be fine. Seven thirty <laughs> Eastern time tonight. Check out the SI social channels. Our social channels. We'll have some details up throughout the course of the day. All right, Howard. Let's get into it. And before we talk about your piece on the one-year anniversary. Tell me where you were a year ago today, and tell me what you thought was going to happen when the NBA announced after the positive test in Oklahoma City that league operations were being suspended. One year ago today, I was sitting in this same seat at my desk in my home office, and I don't think I even had the game on. I think I was sitting at my desk scrolling uh, working on whatever it was at the time, and I saw the tweets from Royce Young from ESPN and some others like starting to, to, to come through, like, the game's not being played yet. There's some weird delay and starting to be speculation. And, and you could kind of just see this unfolding in real time, going from confusion in Oklahoma to speculation, concern, and the next thing you know, it you know, so now I'm now I'm running out of this spot where I'm sitting to the next room to go turn my TV on and, and watching the rest of this unfold as, as all of America did at that point, I think. And I I don't think I was surprised, Chris. I don't know about you. I I felt like as I saw this happening, like, yeah, this, like we knew enough. We didn't know a lot early March last year, which is why the NBA was still playing, which is why they were still allowing fans, which is why the Sloan conference that Daryl Morey puts on every year had happened just a few days before I was there. Uh, A lot of NBA people were there. But we knew enough to know that 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 we were at a tipping point, I think, in the early stages of the pandemic. And so the idea that somebody would test positive and it would cause the postponement or cancellation of a game and then lead to the to this domino effect, I don't think was crazy. Like it was still surreal to watch it all and feel it happening in real time. But I don't I don't think it was that shocking. I just remember thinking, wow. Here we go. All this stuff that people have been saying, speculating about how it's serious this might become. We're here now. Like, that's when I really felt it. We're here. But I'll say, by that point, we'd already started hearing talk about schools might shut down here in New York. You know, I've got a teenager. Um, there were there were other... Um, South by Southwest had already... Uh, they had canceled. Um, we were starting to see the slow trickle of effects of postponements and cancellations and things being put on pause in in our American life that indicated that this was going to be possible. So I don't think it was a total shock, even though watching it all unfold in real time was surreal and unsettling. I had written a column that morning that said the NBA needed to shut the game down because you're right. We were 
reaching a tipping point where it wasn't just a question of if, but when there would be a positive test amongst the players, amongst the player that would force the NBA into this position. And I vividly remember, Howard, you know, Twitter, of course, being the home of civilized discourse, but I remember <laughs> being roundly slapped around after writing that column as of a course. snowflake. Like, oh, of course, you want to take the dramatic nuclear option of shutting the game down. It's not that big a deal. It's just like the flu. Stuff we heard for months <sighs> afterwards and, frankly, still here uh, up until this point. Uh, I heard all that stuff. Um, I, what I didn't anticipate, because none of us have been part of a global pandemic before that's lasted this long, was the duration of it. I thought the NBA would shut down for a week, two weeks, three weeks, however long it would take to let this kind of wave get through the United States, and then the league would get back into relatively normal action. Maybe it would mean reduced crowd capacity. As you know, the league was already planning for that. There was a game scheduled in Oakland that would have been at uh, – at, at, with no fans in the stands, I, I just never anticipated it getting to the point that it got to, where the only way the league could return was in a bubble with no fans and daily testing and all the things that went into it. Well, and I will say, and this leads into the story that I'll have up on SI.com today about the one-year anniversary and about the NBA's role in all of this. I spoke to Adam Silver earlier this week, and we, what I was focusing on some of the you know, just their overall record. Like the NBA was a leader in all of this in some ways. They also had some, uh, you know, some some stumbles along the way. And so I wanted to ask him about regrets and about what they've learned and that kind of thing. One of the things that Adam said readily was that, uh, you know, one of his, his, this is not a massive regret, but he went on TNT the night after they suspended. He went on TNT and still collecting his thoughts, still trying to process what was going on, still trying to figure out where they were going to go next, said, uh, we're going to take a 30-day hiatus, and then we'll see where we are. And he says, looking back, like that, you know, that part feels, you know, certainly over optimistic. Um, but we didn't know what we were dealing with. Like no one did. Uh, to, or I don't. I don't think any. I want you to say no one did. He, as he mentioned, and others have said the same to me. We felt like we were kind of in the dark because there wasn't enough information coming from official channels, government channels. There was a lot that was still kind of being misinterpreted, shrouded, not fully, uh, not fully disclosed. So Adam said, yeah, I, I, I said 30 days. I, why, why did I, exactly, it was kind of an arbitrary number, but he felt at that moment that yes, they would be able to create some protocols, not bubble protocols, but just other protocols. And we'll, we'll be able to get back to it, right? We'll miss a few weeks. We'll come back. We'll figure out a safe way to do this. It will probably be without fans, but we'll figure out a way to resume. He didn't know at that moment or even think that the, the possibility of a four-month layoff, which is essentially what it was from that moment until the bubble. So it's, 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 it's amazing, Chris, how far we've come and how much, you know, we, we've all learned along the way, obviously, about this, but how little we knew at that moment. And I talked to, I haven't, I didn't publish these quotes, but when I talked to Daryl Morey for a story I did earlier this week, and I asked him about, hey, look, man, it's the one-year anniversary. A year ago, you and I were both in, in a conference, a uh, convention center in Boston for the Sloan Conference. He says, yeah, Daryl admitted, like, we, we shouldn't have done it. Looking back, we shouldn't have done it. But he said the same thing. We didn't know as much as we thought we knew. Think about it. We So just as a quick example, we're in a convention center there 
thousands of people at the Sloan Conference in close quarters, and it was, you know, these advisories at, at every panel. Everybody remember, there are Purell machines at, at every, you know, doorway, blah, blah, blah. Make sure to wash your hands or Purell. Uh, we recommend not shaking hands. You should do elbow taps instead. We were all joking about it. Like, we, we weren't joking about it, like, mocking it. We were all jokingly walking around elbow tapping, like, hey, this is the new thing. Because we thought at that time it was about surfaces and touch. Like, nobody had any real grasp of of the fact that this was transmitted in the air, that, that aerosol transmission was the biggest threat. And so we're running around at this convention center saying, ah, eh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we're fine, we'll get through this. Meanwhile, like a few miles away, also in Boston, there was like some <laughs> medical conference or pharmaceutical conference that ended up becoming a super spreader event. Uh, meanwhile, Rudy Gobert, who a few days later would become the NBA's, you know, patient zero, as they've called him, was playing against the Celtics that Friday night, and a bunch of people from the Sloan Conference uh, went to go to that game and talk to Rudy, so, among others. Um, and, that, and, you know, four or five days later was was when everything stopped. So it's, it's, uh, it, it is strange to think about where we were. Yeah, I remember that Celtics-Jazz game because, uh, of course, I was in that locker room talking to Mike Conley for a column I was going to write and, you know, being around those guys. And I, I remember being on the floor and shaking hands with Quinn Snyder. And it sticks in my memory because, you know, Quinn had said as we shook hands, like, we probably shouldn't be doing this now, right? Like, this is not uh, not good anymore. And Howard, that was my last real handshake. Like, <laughs> it was it was a year ago. <laughs> like, you know, you're used to shaking hands with people all the time. That was my last real handshake. I can't. I mean, that's a, you think? Yeah. I can't even think of what my, who, who the last handshake I had. It was probably somebody whose hand I shouldn't have shaken at, at the Sloan Conference when I should have been elbow tapping. Now yeah. that I think about it. Yeah. yeah. Super spreader events huh. that you never really understood. And nobody, as you say and as you, you wrote, nobody really understood what we were dealing with at that time. But let me kind of put a button on no, no, this. Um, go- yeah. Yeah, I, I, no, I was going to say, like, if you could give the NBA a grade over the last year for how they've handled it, fully understanding that Adam Silver is not a doctor and you know, you're taking your cues from medical experts, which quite frankly have been you know, uneven with their analysis along the way as they've tried to learn about this virus in real time. What grade would you give the NBA for the past year? I asked Adam to grade them. I, I said, how do you think you guys have done on the whole? And he kind of punted on that one saying, look, it's going to be at least another year before we really can evaluate and know the mistakes that we made along the way because you don't know them in real time. You know, a year later, he knows where some of the mistakes were up until this point. Um, He said it was a mistake, again, previewing parts of the story, that they probably shouldn't have gone to Orlando for the bubble. At the time that they were planning for it and committing to it, Florida and that part of Florida didn't have high infection rates. By the time they got there, it was on fire and we had one of the worst infection rates in the country. Not the best place to do a bubble because even though it was a bubble, they had Disney employees who were not being tested coming and going every day. There was still some risk. Um, I would give the NBA probably a B plus. And if that sounds a little harsh, it's, it's because of a few things. One, um, they've allowed fans back in buildings, which the epidemiologists I spoke with for this story said they just shouldn't be doing. You know, even if it's in low numbers, don't need to go there. They didn't need to have the All-Star game. They went there. They didn't need to go to Florida for the bubble. They pulled off the bubble spectacularly. So that 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 certainly counterbalances a little bit. And then, you know, if we're going to give them credit, and they, they've, des- they've deserved a lot of the credit for shutting down when they did a year ago, but I say, and Adam didn't really push back that hard on this when I said it, they kind of had to. 
Rudy Gobert was positive. Donovan Mitchell was positive. And they didn't couldn't possibly account for how many guys across the league that they had encountered before they found out that night. And so there was really no choice but to hit the pause button. And yes, it's a, it's significant and it's still the right move. Like they, uh, you know, a more callous league, I suppose, could have just kept going. So now we're fine. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. They were right to shut down. They should be, pl- should, should be lauded for shutting down. But they weren't exactly out in front, like doing this uh, proactively. They did it in reaction to Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell testing positive. I really believe in those, in, in most ways, they had no choice. And Adam himself said any reasonable person would have made the same decision. Nevertheless, symbolically and practically, that, that was a really big tipping point for our country, not just in sports. And so they deserve, you know, high marks for that. But they've, they've had their, their stumbles along the way. So somewhere, you know, B plus to A minus, I think is fair. Yeah, I can get on board with B, B plus. Um, they did pull off the bubble spectacularly. It's not their fault that, you know, in the planning stages of this, Florida turned into one of the biggest hotspots in the country. And frankly, being down there, I mean, yes, Disney employees, untested ones uh, do come and go. But, I, you know, there was almost no interaction with those employees. Like, they were always 6 to 12 feet away from you behind glass most, if not all of them, in addition to wearing masks, wearing face shields as well. So they did a great job, I thought, with that. Where I think they made a mistake, in addition to the All-Star game and letting some fans back in the building early, I think they should have gone back to a bubble. I've written this before. I've been on on kind of this train for a while. Knowing what we knew around the holidays, that there would be a surge in cases after Thanksgiving when the NBA opened training camp and after Christmas when the NBA opened its season, that going back into the bubble for only like a two-month stretch, I wasn't talking about going in for six months or doing a whole season, but getting through this stretch by doing a two-month bubble would have been the proper, safest course of action. Howard, the NBA has lost 30-plus games due to health and safety protocols, quarantining. They've had other games negatively impacted by players being out and the integrity of the games kind of ruined. You can't tell me they weren't able to do it. They did it for the G League. Like, the G League went into that same bubble and pulled it off from February to early March. I just think that, to me, will be the biggest mistake the NBA made. And I think they did it in order, in part because you got to negotiate that with players, but in part because they would like to get some of the extra revenue that comes from, uh, you know, the the some of the limited fan revenue and not paying the 150, 200 billion uh, million dollars that goes into uh, making the bubble work. You love a good bubble, Chris. I think is the moral of the story here. Chris Mannix loves bubbles. Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, I, I get. Unlimited chicken wings and all the candy I can eat. I don't really have a family, so what the hell do I care? So maybe I'm the wrong person to have this discussion, but I was uh, I was very pro Sure. Cut, cut me off from the world. I'm fine with it. What's no, that? listen. How does that change my There life? was always... You were right. And I, and I, <laughs> the case could always be made that it was the... I mean, that it certainly was the safest option. Whether it was the most practical or the best for players and coaches' mental health is another thing entirely. Even if it was going to be for four weeks at a time, six weeks at a time, in and out of a bubble, it's still, I think logistically it'd be difficult. It'd be tough. They certainly would have had a better chance of not postponing games. And as you point out, 31 games postponed so far, although a lot of that was in January when the country was just, again, on fire as a whole. Infection rates have been coming down. I think, 
I don't think we're going to see 31 postponements in the second. We're going to talk a lot about the second half of the season and our expectations. I don't think we're going to see 31 games postponed in the second half. Although, if there's one thing that the last year has taught us, Chris, of course, it's that we don't know anything and 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 the unexpected is always right around the corner. So I'm I'm an optimist on this, but we should we should keep our guard up. What a couple of other quick statistical notes as long as we're on this though. Uh 51 players have tested positive for the virus since December 16th. So that's about 10% of the league. Um and it's a little over 100 who have missed at least one game due to the health and safety protocols, which doesn't necessarily mean you had the virus. It means you either had it or were exposed to somebody who had tested positive and therefore you had to go into quarantine for some amount of time. So a hundred, that's, you know, I think it's like 22, 23% of the league has missed at least one game due to the protocols. So these are not small numbers. Um, It's not been an outbreak. It's not been catastrophic, but the league has certainly been highly impacted. We will always remember, we will remember last season for the suspension and the need to finish in the bubble. We will remember this season for how choppy it was and how strange it was with no fans from day one or then minimal fans. Um, and, and we'll see how it finishes. I think, I think this game might feel, the league might feel very, very different by the time we get to the end of this season because if things keep going in the direction they're going now, which is a positive direction, it might look and feel and sound a lot more like what we're used to. I think you know, maybe, maybe we get full arenas back by the time the finals hit. Maybe. Yeah, we're definitely trending in the right direction. And, you know, the NBA's push for all players to get vaccinated will certainly help. Um, but it's been an interesting year. Uh, you can read more about this past year at Howard's story, which is up on SI.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Howard, I want to get into some of the second-half storylines. And there was some breaking news on Wednesday night when Greg Popovich, the Spurs coach, announced that LaMarcus Aldridge would no longer be with the team as they have mutually agreed to part ways. The Spurs will try to trade Aldridge, who's in the last year of his contract. If they can't, the expectation is that they will negotiate some form of buyout and Aldridge will hit the open market. I would, I'm not shocked by this development, Howard. Surprised a little because San Antonio is very much in the thick of the Western Conference playoff race. Aldridge, while being significantly removed from his all-star form, is still averaging about 14 points per game. He's shooting around 36% from three. He's still a very effective or reasonably effective offensive player, but he was moved to the bench last month. And this is the first time since Aldridge's rookie season that he has been that he's played with the second unit and I don't think that sat well with him. I think he still fancies himself a starter and or at least a starter on that San Antonio team. So, I guess first give me your reaction to the Spurs and Aldridge agreeing to part ways and what do you think the market is going to be for him? Well, I mean it it points up again the Spurs are always going to do things the right way. Um they you know, they, they're they in the midst of, of, of basically a youth movement. They are certainly trying to develop uh, their their what they hope will be their new core going forward. And LaMarcus Aldridge came in at a time that they were still highly competitive. And they're at best now a low playoff team that will get knocked out in the first round. And so, you know, they need to, to recalibrate. And if LaMarcus Aldridge is not a starter, and if that doesn't sit well with him and and they want to do right by him. That's that's the Spurs way. They're doing right by him, and he's you know they're doing right by each other. Both parties are are of course you know on board with this. That okay, we're gonna we're gonna put put you know uh, let Marcus Aldridge sit for a bit while we figure this out. I don't think the trade uh, scenario is that likely. I mean, this is not quite Blake Griffin territory. It is Andre Drummond's territory. Uh, it's a lot of money. LaMarcus Aldridge, $24 million this season. It is an expiring deal, but $24 million is just hard to move in this league. There aren't that many teams that can put together the contracts to pull that off and not give up players that they would rather have. And if you know that everyone else is balking, if you're one of the four, five, six teams that might want LaMarcus Aldridge and you're trying to figure out whether it's worth trading for him and you look at those other teams and you think, well, none of them are going to make this deal either – then you're assuming he's going to get to the buyout market. He's going to be bought out, and you're going to have a crack at him in free agency. So why are you giving up assets? Uh, I, you know, they'll do their best to to attempt it. I just, I don't, I don't see it. I think ultimately he's a free agent. Um, I think that's the most likely outcome. I do think there are a couple teams to watch. I think Boston is going to be very much in the mix by virtue of that trade exception, uh, the twenty and a half million dollars Aldridge could fit in there with Boston sending some salary back out 
uh, to meet the hard cap requirements. The Celtics also have some you know, young pieces, draft picks. I'm not exactly sure from talking to people the last 24 hours how much they'd be willing to give up to get Aldridge. Um, you're not going to see them throw one of their blue chip guys in the mix. You might not even see them throw a first-round draft pick in for a 35-year-old big man who, while he can still score, doesn't defend really anybody at this stage of his career. Miami's always lurking out there, but it's a little more challenging for Miami given they'd have to move like Andre Iguodala and a handful of other players to make a deal like that work. So I do agree with you. I think it feels more likely than not that there is a buyout arrangement with Aldridge and the Spurs that lets him hit the open market. Now, as a free agent, Howard, I think he's pretty interesting. I, I mean, I think there are a lot of teams he could help by feasting on other teams' second unit. He's almost like Carmelo Anthony in this way, where his days as being a frontline starter are over, but I don't think his days of being an effective player are over. I think you put him on the right in the right situation, he can be an impact offensive player. I mentioned the 36%. He's really... Aldridge has really turned himself into a decent three-point shooter the last couple of years. He's always been known as kind of this mid-range shooter, and he's one of the better mid-range shooters like ever, especially at the front court position. But he's become a better three-point shooter, which makes him uh, a lot more valuable. The team I'd like to see him go back to, which is the only team he could go back to, Portland. Like, how about LaMarcus Aldridge and Damian Lillard have a reunion in Portland? We all know how badly that ended for them the first time around with Aldridge kind of chafing at this new young star emerging in Portland uh, he was yeah, he was kind of a jerk to Lillard for the most part during their early days together. But right now, I mean, this familiarity with the city, with the organization, and if you're the Blazers, you think you could use some front court help? Like, you got Nurkic still on the shelf. Carmelo's playing minutes at power forward. You don't really have much else at that spot. I think LaMarcus Aldridge would be a good fit for that team. I'm not sure if he'd choose the Blazers over another top-tier contender, but... That would be kind of a fun reunion if you could get Aldridge uh, to re- come full circle and go back to Portland. Yeah, everybody loves the uh, the reunion story, and and why not? And it would see him back there for all kinds of reasons, and I think he would help. But but I think Aldridge is strictly a center at this stage of his career, not a power forward. I think Nurkic is coming back soon, maybe within days. And Ennis Cantor's done... But he's unreliable, Howard. Like Nurkic is unreliable with injuries. He's, like there's too too many is, of them over the last is, few years. He has absolutely missed a ton of games. But when he's right, Nurkic is a beast at that spot, and he's been great for them. And he's certainly he's he's not only their first option. When he's healthy, he is their starting center. Period. Right. And Ennis Cantor has has played really well in his absence, um, and has helped keep them afloat. Obviously, with a lot of help from Dame Lillard. Like it's mostly about Dame, but. Cantor has stabilized that front court, and he's a rebounding machine. So you've got two pretty effective centers once Nurkic is back. How does Aldridge fit in there? And if Aldridge was not happy being a backup at San Antonio, now granted, these things have to be recalibrated based on context, right? I don't want to be a backup center on a rebuilding team that may or may not even make the playoffs. I might be willing to be a backup on a Trailblazers team that could be top four in the West, and I'm playing with Dame Lillard, and there's, you know, there's, there, it offsets the the ego bruise of coming off the bench. Maybe he's willing to, to make that trade off. And some of the other places that Lamarcus Aldridge could potentially go, he might be coming off the bench too. But it would be for uh, a better role, right? Like uh, I've, I've seen Phoenix suggested as a spot for him, back up to DeAndre Ayton. 
I could that that would make a lot. He of almost sense. signed there. He almost be, yes. before he went to San Antonio, he almost signed yes. with Phoenix. Um, you know, if he ends up in say, you know, Brooklyn, does he supplant DeAndre Jordan as the starter? Um, so like, you know, if he goes to Philly, that you know, where I've, again, I've seen that suggested too. They could use a backup center, but he'd be backing up Embiid. But you're willing to be a backup more, uh, you know, more more amenable to that if you are contending for a title now. So Portland is just. Like I say, I think Aldridge is strictly a center at this stage based on his mobility or lack thereof and who he should be guarding. And they've got two centers once Nurkic comes back. So he'll he'll land somewhere good. There are plenty. I just mentioned a bunch of them. You know, and Milwaukee's another. There are plenty of good to contending teams that could use LaMarcus Aldridge, assuming he hits free agency. Yeah, still a good player. Um, and you're right, context is king here because if you're Aldridge... And not only do I think it's about not wanting to be a backup on a rebuilding team, but you signed there in 2015. You're a big reason of why they won 60 plus games, went to the Western Conference Finals. You know, there's got to be some ego in in that situation where it's like you were the starter forever there. You don't want to be a bench guy sitting behind like Jakob Pertl, you know, with that group as they uh, kind of scuffle into the playoffs. So I'll be interested to see what happens if he gets bought out. Uh, after March 25th, because I do think he can make an impact on a contender. Uh, a couple things I want to get to when it comes to the second half. One of the biggest stories I'll be following is if the Jazz can continue this torrid pace. The Jazz have the best record in the NBA. They've got a great offense. They've got a great defense. They've got three all-stars. They've got the front runner for sixth man of the year right now. They're extremely well-coached. They check a lot of boxes, Howard, but there are still plenty of people skeptical about the Jazz and their ability to be a real championship team. When I look at Utah, one reason I'm optimistic about their future, media future, is that I don't see anybody on that team doing anything that is outlandishly over their heads. Like I don't see anybody doing, you know, playing so above and beyond how they'd normally play, that it has to come back down to earth. Maybe you can make the argument that Jordan Clarkson will eventually revert back to the more erratic shooter that he's been and not the sixth-man frontrunner that he is. But Donovan Mitchell, this is just another step in the progression of a great player. Mike Conley, last year, was kind of the aberration. This is the Mike Conley we know from his days in Memphis. I mean, this is a really good player. Rudy Gobert, still great defensively. I mean, he's always been great defensively. Offensively this year, I think he's having the most impact that he's had from screen setting to some of the rim running that he's been doing. So nothing that I'm seeing suggests that there is a big fall set to come. Now, they could still lose some games. I mean, they're, they're, they, you know, when they play some of these top-tier teams, they could scuffle, but I'm not looking at the Jazz as being poised for any kind of big fall. Now, when we get to the playoffs... What happens there? Like, is Donovan Mitchell ready to be the alpha in the fourth quarter of a, of a big series? Is Mike Conley able to be that second offensive option? Can Joe Ingles make shots? A lot of questions there. But as far as the second half of the regular season goes, Howard, if they're healthy, I'd be surprised if the Jazz are not the number one seed. What do you think? I think they're going to be the number one seed. I think they're going to have the best record in the NBA when all is said and done because 
they have the best record in the NBA as we speak right now. You know, they hit that hit the All Star break with the best record, and they have the easiest remaining schedule, according to all of the folks who run those algorithms. Easiest remaining schedule, the Utah Jazz, which suggests, of course, conversely that they've already gone through their you know what was one of the hardest schedules in the league and come out of it with the best record in the league at the break. That all bodes really well for them, at least as a regular season team. Like they're going to, they're going to continue to have great success as long as they stay healthy. And you pointed to one thing, Chris, that that I think matters a lot. There is nobody overachieving. Everybody on this roster, everybody in this rotation, um, is performing about where you would expect them to be. And I don't even consider what Jordan Clarkson's doing to be outside of any. Like he, he was always a really talented and explosive scorer. He just had to harness it a little better, be a little more judicious about his shot selection. And to his credit, he's been. Uh, a, a much more efficient player in his you know year plus now with Utah. So I, there's not there's no regression to the mean coming. There's no tough schedule coming. They've got like I say the literally the easiest schedule in the NBA remaining, and they're not overly reliant on one player. Now, granted, Donovan Mitchell is by far their most important offensive player. He generates a ton for them. He's a phenomenal uh, you know just offensive force, but. They have six guys averaging double-digit scoring. And they have that because this is a team that's really about ball movement. It's not overly uh, dependent on one player. They're not into a ton of iso ball, even though Donovan Mitchell can isolate. Jordan Clarkson can isolate. Conley can do a little bit with the ball in his hands still. They're more about keeping defenses just perpetually off balance with ball and player movement. And at their best, they do that at, at the highest level. And that's why they're a top-four offense in offensive efficiency at this point, that's that's definitely sustainable. It will be challenged in the playoffs. Like their offense, the fact that you don't have more than one elite shot creator in the playoffs, that will potentially hurt them. That that will be the big test. Like how good are they? Are they really a contender? All these questions we've been asking the last couple of months, we'll find out in the playoffs. In the regular season though, this is a really effective uh, and, and successful way of going about things. There, it should it should continue. There's there's no reason it shouldn't. And then the rest of those questions will you know we'll get the answers. We'll get the answers when we get to the playoffs. But I think there's one other thing to pay attention to because it it sounds maybe a little hokey, but it's real. These guys feel slighted. They feel disrespected. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert were the last two guys taken in the All Star draft by LeBron James and Kevin Durant. And then LeBron, you know, you know, said a few things that, that rubbed them wrong. They went into the break coming off a game in which they felt like the refs screwed them and they felt so strongly about it. They said it outright and got fined for it. So they're feeling, you know, disrespected. They've got the chip on their shoulder. That helps sometimes. It's, it's, it's not, you know, not a bad thing to, to have, uh, that sense that the, the world is, uh, you know, conspiring against you and it's up to you to, perpetually prove them wrong night in night out that that can go a long way no i agree massive chips on all their shoulders from everything that's happened this year mike conley certainly motivated after so many years in memphis failing to reach the highest of levels i you know and and i've said this to you on previous podcasts howard and and this this kind of came up when Shaq said what he said to donovan mitchell about not being that guy that can carry a team to a championship he hasn't had the roster around him up until this point to do that. 
Like, he's had some flawed rosters over the years, from when he was a young player to last season without uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. This is the year I think we learn a lot about Donovan Mitchell, the, the playoff performer. This is the year he has the personnel around him to make a run to the finals. If he comes up short this year, any criticisms that are leveled at Mitchell will be fair. But up until this point, I don't know how you look at that guy and say, ah, oh, you can't do it. You're not you're not built to, to take a team to the championship levels. He hasn't had the talent. And it, it's not about how great you are individually. Michael Jordan was great individually for years in the mid to late 1980s. It was only after he got Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant and so many of those other great players that he started to win championships. This is the first year that Mitchell has championship-level players around him. If they get broomed out of the second round, by all means, pig pile on Donovan Mitchell. But until then, I think you got to give this guy the benefit of the doubt and a little bit of room to grow. No question. And, and besides that, we have seen this with stars of every era in this league, Chris. You go to the playoffs as a young player, you get spanked, you take your lumps, you go back to the to the lab, you work on your game, you improve a little bit, you take that experience, you take those setbacks, you let it fuel you, um, and you hope that you have a, a smart front office that continues building around you and building smartly around you. And Howard, not 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 to make it all about Jordan, but Jordan got his ass kicked in the playoffs in those early years. Ass kicked. Same thing like with Kobe. Remember Kobe in the very early years, you know, struggled mightily. And then you get some talent. Oh, yes. okay. Well, that matters, I guess. Well, also he and he had to develop himself. You know, some of those some of those early setbacks were on him. He had to develop as a player. He had to develop physically. Shaq got swept how many times in his first, you know, four, five, six years in the league? It happens. And so, you know, you can't rush to judgment on these guys. Donovan Mitchell's a special player, and he's about all the right things, too. Like, you never, you know, the difference between a young star that you see coming up where you might have some skepticism versus one that you th- that you have belief in, I have belief in Donovan Mitchell. Everybody around the league who knows anything about him, I think, has that belief because he's also all about the right things. He's He's got high character, high work ethic, um, values his teammates, good guy. Like there's no, there's, there's no flaw there to point to and say, well, yeah, he look he can score a lot, but I don't, there's no, but there with Donovan Mitchell. If there's a, but it's that he's not six, eight, right? <laughs> like right. The, the league is so much ruled right now by the LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, you know, or like Luca, like there's so much about these, like, uh, you know, you know, point forwards or just oversized point guard types, the Magic Johnson generation here, um, or this Magic Johnson kind of airs, that I think maybe what Shaq was alluding to is he doesn't think that Donovan Mitchell can take over at the same level as maybe some of these other guys, or that he can't be Dame or Steph if you're going to go the guard route. But, you know, Dame, Dame has been to the conference finals, but, you know, he hasn't broken through either. We're not knocking him and saying he can't do it. There's so much that's about context and about the, the teammates you have around you. And so, you know, Steph was part of, of a, kind of a perfect storm in, in Golden State and it's smart drafting to, to get the right guys around him. I think you're right. I think Utah has the right pieces around Donovan Mitchell right now. I don't know if it's enough because of how tough the conference is, but we'll see. He's got a lot of years left. Shaq played with a guy who Donovan Mitchell has been favorably compared to. That's Dwayne Wade. And Jack would have won that last championship without Dwayne Wade. So I don't, I'm not 
I'm not here for any Donovan Mitchell criticism yet. Something happens in the playoffs, okay, maybe I'll change my tune. But for right now, uh, I'm willing to let this guy, you know, see what he got with the talent that's around him. All right, let me finish with uh, something a little more fun. That's the MVP race, which I think Howard has the potential to be one of the closer MVP races that we've seen in a while. You've got Joel Embiid, who I think is the leader right now, and I say that kind of, you know, not with a lot of certainty to it. Um, LeBron, very much in the mix. Nikola Jokic, very much in the mix. I'd even argue, Howard, that Giannis might have re-entered the discussion over the last month. I mean, you look at some of the numbers he's putting up, he's back to that kind of, you know, the Shaq-like numbers from the early 2000s that helped him win the MVP last season. Milwaukee's playing really good basketball. Uh, He's probably still one of the best, if not the best, defensive player in the entire league. Now, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of voter fatigue when it comes to Giannis, but how do you handicap the MVP race right now? Yeah, so it's it's funny because the first half of the season has very much been about you know start, it was it started off with Luke as the front runner because Vegas said so the oddsmakers said so um, and that was more about you know a lot of Luca enthusiasm and and excitement but the Mavericks were never going to be good enough for Luca to be the MVP you got to be as we've discussed top two or three team in your conference top four minimum unless you're Russell Westbrook a few years ago which we won't discuss so it very quickly became. Embiid versus LeBron. And I think maybe three, four weeks ago, the consensus was LeBron kind of has the slight lead. And then we got to the break and it was Embiid's got the got the lead. Meanwhile, Jokic is creeping up because the Nuggets have gotten their footing and they're looking like they will be the team we expect. Like, again, same thing. Denver's got to finish top four, I think, in the West for Jokic to be at the top of a lot of ballots. But he's going to be in there, Chris. Jokic has been incredible this season. And so at a minimum, I think there's a three-way race as of right now because the Nuggets, the record will be there, I believe, and he'll be in the conversation with LeBron and Embiid. Then it becomes, okay, are the Clippers dominant enough that we consider Kawhi? Can we separate Kawhi from Paul George? Do the Blazers, as they get CJ McCollum back, as they get uh, Nurkic back, maybe they pick up Aldridge, who knows? Lillard's been incredible and has kept them com- more than competitive. He's, he's, he, he helped them just rebound from the, that, that rough start without any help, really. Lillard's going to be in this discussion for sure. Then we get to Giannis. So I, I always take offense at the voter fatigue thing. Oh, they're tired. They want to move on to something else. I, I, obviously, I'm saying this as a voter, but I don't think I've ever been fa- fatigued by the MVP. I've never said, like, I don't want to vote for this guy anymore. We always vote for I, I, don't, I personally have never had that happen. What I will say about Giannis, though, is this, because it's a different standard, and people will say it's the same thing. Wait, before, yeah. before you get to Giannis, go Howard, you know, go back to, what was it, 2011. Did you vote for MVP that year? No, I was at the New York Times then, and the Times did not allow us to vote on postseason awards. So I had a nine-year span there where I did not okay. vote. Okay, if you had been a voter back then, would you have voted for LeBron or Derek Rose? I'll be totally honest, Chris. The years that I didn't vote, because I was not voting, I didn't do the same exercise. I don't think I even wrote about it. We didn't even do the perfunctory column. And so it's hard to, like, even even some of the years I voted, if it's far back enough, I can't remember what my rationale was. So, uh, look, it's easy to say now LeBron should have won it over Derrick Rose. It's easy to say now that voters got swept up in the Derrick Rose, Chicago Bulls frenzy and narrative of this young 
amazing team coming together, overachieving. I think best record in the league, 61 wins or something that year, right? And Well, I think they also got swept up in the negativity uh, around LeBron of joining yes, the Miami Heat. because LeBron had just done the decision, which at the time was viewed as a high crime and misdemeanor. And people didn't want to vote for him, perhaps for that reason. I say perhaps because I also do not like people mind reading, as I saw somebody do again yesterday, somebody in our business, for God's sake. Don't mind read other voters. You don't know what the other hundred and something voters in a given year are thinking as they make this decision, unless they've actually written it after the fact. Um, I, I do think there was a lot of backlash for LeBron. Like that's that's we've We saw it. We read it. We heard it. And there was a lot of excitement about Derrick Rose. The numbers on them on their own, LeBron was the, had the better season. Of course he did. But the Bulls were a phenomenon and so was Derrick Rose. I don't know what I would have done in real time. I, I, I think it's, it's, it would be disingenuous for me to, to say, oh, I absolutely would have voted for LeBron. I don't know. I, I don't know. Here's the thing on Giannis. He's won it two years in a row. He's earned it two years in a row. If he puts up the exact same numbers this year and the Bucks have the best record in the league again at the end of the day, it'd be hard to say based on the last two years that he couldn't. I will say this, though, and this is not fatigue. I want to make this very clear. This is not a fatigue argument or the fatiguing of Giannis. Very, what is it, two guys have ever won three in a row? Is that that correct? I believe so, yeah. I think Bill Russell and, uh, and Jordan? I have to double check, but yeah. I think it's... Um, so... It's a high bar. It is a different honor, in fact. Now, granted, every MVP race is its own thing. It's not supposed to be about what you did last year. It's not a lifetime achievement award. It's not about what you did in the previous playoffs. And, oh, well, he sucked in the playoffs, and now we have to punish him on the MVP. No, it's about what you did for that 82-game, or in this case, 72-game season, on its own. However, if winning three MVPs is one of the in a row is one of the rarest things to happen in this league, I do think it's fair to sit back before you fill out that ballot and say, hold on. Is he at that level? I understand this is about this season, and I should be consistent about that to the nth degree. But three in a row, now you're an all-timer. Like it's it is it's almost like you're voting on a different award for Giannis than you are for the rest of them. Because for the rest of them, it's just are you MVP of this season? For him, it's are you a three times consecutive MVP? Are you an all-timer? Or do you belong next to Bill Russell? That. I, it, that gets hard to separate. Is it is it hard to look at that? It's hard to look at that in a vacuum, is what you're saying. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, because I, I agree with you. Let's say the Bucks go on a run in the second half of the season, which is very possible. As Drew Holiday is back, they get more comfortable with the new kind of pieces in that mix, and Giannis continues to play otherworldly. If he has the exact same numbers, if the Bucks have the best record in basketball. In a vacuum, you'd have to strongly consider giving him your vote. I'm not, I mean, are you saying it's hard to separate, you know, the idea that if you do give him your vote and if he does win the MVP, suddenly he's in the rarefied air of Russell and Jordan? That's the issue. The, the issue is, that, is yeah. that you're you're now giving him a different honor in a way. You're, you're giving him three straight. Interesting. Um, and so I, I just think that that, I think that that's tough. I'm, I look, I, I, I'm still thinking this through. We're, we're talking about this on March 11th, and we won't vote on MVP for another couple of months. And Giannis might not be the best candidate at that time anyway, and this may resolve itself. But if he has a, the kind of statistical lines he had the last couple of years, and the Bucks finish with the top 
two, three record in the NBA, or especially if they're number one again, it's it's gonna be a a a, a logical quandary for me. Because I do believe it's a it's a it should be evaluated every season in a vacuum, but three in a row is a different thing. I think Embiid is tied to the Sixers' success. I think if the Sixers are the number one team in the East, you're gonna have a lot of people voting for Embiid. Like I think it's it it's almost that simple. Yeah, um, we also have a couple other guys who could still creep into this discussion, right? And 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 I think that that's what's gonna make this fun. The Suns are, are top two in the West right now. And it's going to be hard to say, well, Devin Booker doesn't feel like an MVP candidate. Chris Paul has been a really big part of their, their elevation this season. So I'm just mentioning them in passing because the Suns have the record to merit discussing them. Um, yeah. We never talk about whether Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert should be in the MVP discussion because it's really hard to attribute the Jazz's best record in the NBA to just one or the other. And so... I think that Gobert should be in the discussion. I think Gobert should be there, man. Like I, I think, and I have this conversation with scouts all the time about Gobert's impact offensively. We know what he does defensively. He's, you know, even though he didn't win Defensive Player of the Year, any coach will tell you when you're talking about the player that makes the top line on your scouting reports, it's Rudy Gobert. He changes the game defensively. Offensively, though whether it's screen setting or rim running, he's taken that part of his game to another level. He has been better at that this year than he's been better at any points in his career, and that's had a huge impact on what the Jazz do offensively. So if I'm giving anybody on that team an MVP vote, it's probably going to be Rudy Gobert. And a quick correction here for myself and just the, to, to give the, the, the actual stat here. Three players... In NBA history, have won three MVPs in a row, and the last so it was it was Russell and Chamberlain, and then Larry Bird, of course, and Larry Bird did that from '83 through '86 or '83 uh, '84 season through the '85 '86 season. So no one's done it in a very long time, and the only guys and Bird deserved every one of them, baby. <laughs> I, I I suspected you'd say as much, but Bird, Chamberlain, Russell, that's it. End of list. You want to put Giannis on that list? Like that, that will be a question potentially in a couple months. Um, Rudy Gobert defines the Jazz in so many ways, um, but it's such a, a strange dichotomy or, or just a unique dichotomy where if you try to figure out what makes the Jazz the Jazz, defensively it's because of Rudy Gobert and offensively it's because because of Donovan Mitchell. And there's very little overlap. You know, you're not going to talk much about Mitchell's defense, or you're not going to talk much about Gobert's offense. So it, it, it is hard. And also, you're now stacking up Rudy Gobert in an MVP discussion against Giannis and those incredible gaudy stat lines where he just fills up the box score in every column. LeBron filling up every column. Joel Embiid scoring at a level that Rudy Gobert can't even dream of. Um, it, it's, it, it becomes difficult on the statistical side of it, but Steve Nash won a couple of MVP awards without having like spectacular stats because of what he did for his team. And maybe that's oddly, though there's no overlap between who Rudy Gobert is and what he does and Steve Nash. That might be the argument is, is are, if you are that instrumental to defining your team and its success, um, then maybe you, you take the stats and, and push them slightly to the side to, to evaluate the candidacy. That'll be fun. A lot of good reasons to vote for a lot of people. This might be the closest and most 
uh, spread out MVP that we've seen in years in terms of number of guys getting a substantial amount of votes. Maybe it's almost divided by areas of the country, as we've seen in the past, You know, whether it's people that are based out in Southern California, a lot of support for LeBron, East Coast, Embiid might get some numbers there. I'll be really interested to see how this all uh, ultimately plays out. Uh, Howard, uh, good piece up on SI.com right now about the NBA uh, the last year. Talk to Adam Silver. Talk to others for that story. Make sure, again, check us out on Clubhouse, 7.30 Eastern time, Thursday night. We'll be talking about a lot of these same topics. I wonder, we should probably take a straw poll on Clubhouse about who's got who for their MVP right off the bat. I bet we have uh, five different answers, or at least three or four. And that's just Rowan. He'll have five different answers, and then the rest of us will combine for another five. So. Yeah, and he'll probably steal. He'll probably steal ours. So that's just. That. But that's an inside joke towards our friend Rowan Howard. Good to talk to you, man. Thanks uh, as always. We'll do it again next week. Always a pleasure, my friend. At Bed Three Six Five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.